When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a brain now. I myself am on the brain. I used to want to be a real man. I don't know what that even means. Now I just want you in my arms again. And we can search each other's dreams. What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this here podcast, Three Swings, a pace. A baseball about podcasts and other things. Kind of. <laughs> Probably. Um, woo, here we are. Friday, July 24th. I'm recording this late, so you're probably listening to this on Saturday. And there's been two days of men's major league baseball games. So this is going to be weird analysis. But I think every every week of this podcast is going to be weird analysis. Probably for the rest of time, who knows? Um, probably just going to check in with you all personally, and then we'll have the ad break, and then I'll get to the stories. Um, just feeling some weird, just a weird, this has been a weird time. Grateful that I don't have COVID, but it's, at least I don't think I do. Uh, probably going to get tested again pretty soon, because it seems like the right thing to do. Uh, been taking as many precautions as I possibly can. However, it just feels like it's, it's getting closer and closer. Um, my friend's mom has it now. Um, many people that I like talk with, speak to have very close people that have gotten it. Uh, someone I spoke with today that lost someone to COVID-19. So just a quick reminder, um, I, I could assume everybody that listens to this podcast believes that it's real, but I don't want to do that. It's definitely real and it's definitely happening. Um, it is also easy to forget. I think if it isn't happening directly to you in front of you and you're not wa- actually watching this, um, cause you can find it. You can definitely find pictures of the atrocities of this pandemic. Um, you got to go look for them though. Cause, uh, no media is showing any of that. At least, I haven't seen anything. Um, it, it, at this point, going to great lengths to not show any, but anybody what's going on. Um, you know, mostly just showing pictures of doctors and nurses and PPE and stuff like that, but um, not really showing what's happening with people. And a lot is happening. Like a lot of people are dying. 
So um, don't let up and don't, I mean, take care of yourself and be mentally healthy. Like let your mind ease. However, don't let your actions ease. Um, Keep a mask on all the time. Um, You know, I go for walks and I see people that aren't wearing masks out and about taking their dog for a walk or whatever. Wear your mask. Like at least bring it with you at this point because you just, that's the thing. Like everybody thinks they know what's going to happen even in a moment to moment of like, well, I'm just walking the dog. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to see anybody. And like, then you turn a corner and then there's a person. Um, so it's just like a good practice. So just passing that along. I got some like balaclava gator things that are like summer scarves and I fold them over a couple times. Um, and so then I just always have that with me when I'm out in the outdoors, when I, if I'm going to be indoors, which I was for some doctor's appointments, I wear like a, a mask that somebody made like a handmade mask, according to instructions for like best practice. Uh, I take hand sanitizer everywhere. I wash my hands. I haven't used a public restroom since March 12th, 2020. Um, only go to outdoor gatherings and like, just keep getting tested, you know? Um, it's a, it's a pretty wild time. I, I think, you know, it's always been a wild time. I was listening to Radio Lab. They did a really tremendous episode about the Spanish flu of 1918. And, and in classic Radio Lab fashion, it's not, uh, you know, just a linear story. It's a story. Um, so I highly recommend that episode as like a sort of context, like human context for what's going on. And that, you know, all of this just reminds me that whatever idea we had of the past and of history is definitely not accurate because it's just an idea. And it's just, we're just listening to what people told us. So whatever sort of facet of education and storytelling that you're, you're willing to tear apart, it's all of them. You know, that's the thing is we never know, you know, um, I used to think that, you know, people really came together during World War II. It's like, yeah, they did, but not the way that I think that they did, you know? And I, I don't, I think we have this idea that like America has, ha- you know, and it, I also know you're probably listening to me going like, no, we don't, but also we do. And also we don't, you know, like everything's happening all at once. Like nothing is linear. We continue to believe that all of this is linear, that we go from Monday to Friday Sunday to Sunday, you know, it's like we made all that stuff up and we're just like following those rules because it, it makes us feel safe, you know? Um, and there's no, there's no pure safety. There's just striving for it and there's no perfection. You just get to keep working towards it and you don't even get to have it and that's okay. You know? Um, and like, I think about the perfect game. (laughs) I think about, the concept of a perfect game and what a feat that is in the sport that we love so much that, that we also are frustrated with constantly Um, that, you know, we think about, Oh, he threw a perfect game. Well, the thing is a lot of people participated in that perfect game, you know? Um, And a lot of people didn't want that perfect game to happen. And a lot of people were working against it. And then when we look back, we just think, oh, this is so insane. Sandy Koufax, perfect game. 
you don't think about who was playing center field, right field, left field, second base, shortstop, third base, who legged out of a single, who did, you know, we don't, we don't think of all of some, some people do not everybody though. And that's what history, that's what memory, that's what nostalgia does is it, is it thins everything down to just like a very, very simple concept. And I think right now, given the pandemic and given the, the, um, the uprising and the revolution that's happening, um, we're all being given an opportunity to see how much these things aren't true. And we get an opportunity to really see of how a new way is possible, that something different could really happen. And it could be good. We could actually get rid of the police and have more good than we currently have. It could actually go really well. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's going to look exactly the way I think it I really well looks. And it doesn't mean it's going to look as easy as I would want that to be, but it could be really different. Um, and so that's what, you know, this time for me is, is attempting to be, you know, I'm attempting to be open to what could be and, and grateful for what is, um, but it's every day, <laughs> it's every single day, um, I'm starting to feel a little bit of like groundhog day effect, but that's, you know, that story is about, uh, having to do it over and over and over and over again until you do it a new way, you know? So, um, open to that possibility. Um, I have some really great guests in the pipeline. Um, and it's just a matter of getting schedules lined up. Um, but really looking forward to that. It was great to have Nick Francona on, um, you know, great to, to speak with him. I hope you get, you all enjoyed that. Um, you know, the Washington football team is now the Washington football team. So things are changing. I think these things are important. I don't think they're the only thing, you know, um, I think don't be, be, be grateful that things change, but don't be satisfied with superficial changes. You know, it's important to tear down these Confederate monuments because they really have no place in this country, number one, but it's not, the most important thing. And it's not the first and only thing, I guess is what I should say. Um, so like to just mention, you know, the passing of, uh, John, the honorable John Lewis, um, many people were talking about like how the Raymond Pettus bridge should be renamed after him. And like, maybe we should pass the voting rights act first. Maybe we should do things that are actual actions as opposed to like changing a photograph um, and then we can maybe get to, to ch renaming names or, or maybe we should stop naming everything. Maybe we don't need to slap names on everything. Maybe that's not the most important thing. Um, and also something just occurred to me, the, this idea of the, all, the people who are so against, you know, changing a monument, changing the names of high schools, changing, changing the names of bridges. Like it's got to stay the same. Uh, they're all pretty pretty comfortable with like a woman changing her last name when she gets married. <laughs> um, but it all, you know, it all comes down to property and like what, you know, in racial capitalism, people can become property. Um, and you know, white women were property too until they weren't. And also they could, you know, manipulate that status as easily as they wanted to. Um, so 
anyway, this is a podcast about baseball and we'll get into, uh, you know, some racial capitalism in, in, in the next segment, but we'll be back right after this ad. Uh, please give it a listen and think about supporting the ad because uh, you can support the show by doing so. Uh, we'll be right back after this. All right, so we've got opening day 2020, something I never thought was going to happen, nor did I think, nor do I continue to think it should have happened. Uh, as the coronavirus pandemic continues to grow in the United States, with known cases surpassing 4 million this week, men's Major League Baseball had its long-delayed opening day on Thursday with an East Coast showdown between the Yankees and the defending champion, World Series champion Nationals, uh, complete with a first pitch thrown out by Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, uh, and a West Coast night game between NL West rivals the Dodgers and the Giants. Uh, Major League Baseball teams will play a condensed 60-game schedule this year in stadiums with no fans and with several new health and safety protocols supposedly in place. Uh, I think it's... It, it, what a stunning irony for Fauci to be throwing out a first pitch at the men's baseball. I just have to say, I... I am incredibly conflicted and I want to continue making a podcast that is fun for people, um, that, that makes sense and is something that you want to even listen to. However, I, I, I am very conflicted about baseball happening. I have a lot of feelings about it. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm not in control of what happens and how it happens. However, I just really do not think this is what we need now and like a distraction. And I just, I have made it very clear on this podcast that I am always on the side of labor. But at this point now, you have this reality where these men, for the most part, like the the National Women's Soccer League has been back, but not nobody, but, you know, but mainstream society doesn't really give a shit about it because it's not men, you know? Like all of this is really highlighting to me the, the, the the like constant importance of male sports that like sports are male and the only important ones are the men's ones. And, and, and I say this and I'm talking about mainstream society, you know, this is a podcast about baseball. I talk about many kinds of baseball. I have been focused on men's baseball a lot lately because there's not even anywhere for women's baseball to exist because there's just nothing going on. I mean, like, there's a pandemic and nothing is happening. Um, I mean, the, the minor leagues have been decimated. It's just like, I don't, where, where do I point? Where do I start? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to know. And it, it's incredibly frustrating. You know, it, I, I see these games and they have like piped in sound of the crowd. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I, I just see it. It's like this this is what we do. This is what we do at this time right now. We, we make cutouts and we, we let these boys get to have fun. Like, come on, you know? And then at the same time, there's a cutout of Brody Stevens, you know, in Dodger stadium and Mookie Betts is signing a con great contract for him. And the Dodgers are uh, uh, putting their, 
money where their mouth is and like, I don't know, hiring a black man for more than a year at a time or two, you know, like not that hiring one black man to play baseball for the Dodgers is going to fix anything, but I just mean looking to the positive parts of it. It's just like the whole thing feels like a gigantic mind fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, baseball got shut down during world war two because a bunch of the men who played it were it, it, at war, you know, like I just, and then they created a women's baseball league because of it. And then they decimated it because who gives a shit? So I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, and then I also was trying to even watch yesterday because I was like, I can't watch this. And then, you know, there was like video on Twitter and I was like, oh, I want to see what this is because I love this stupid thing. I can't stay away from this damn thing. And then I couldn't watch it on my MLB app, even though, you know, they auto auto debited my money at the beginning of the pandemic, like one hundred and twenty nine dollars happily took my money. Uh, and then I've, I've been paying for ESPN cause I got some like bundle, but I don't have live TV. So I couldn't watch like, it just was like, this is it. This is all of the things. So I still have to like, you know, get bench coach Brett to send me his login so I can watch a baseball game during a pandemic with no fans. When a player for one of the teams tested positive the day of who had been practicing with not only his entire team, but also another major league team, the Baltimore Orioles, who were for a moment there going to also host the Blue Jays, who are not allowed to play in Canada because baseball isn't following strict enough rules for Canada to feel comfortable for their team to go back and forth over the border. How, how anybody is looking to baseball as a welcome distraction right now, I really beg of you to... to question your motives watch it just don't be distracted i also just don't understand how I, I they barely talked about the pandemic and the amount of baseball that i watched like it is constantly happening players are currently infected with it eduardo rodriguez for the red sox might not even be able to play baseball again because of his uh what's left over from having covid19 so the whole thing i mean why am I making a podcast about this? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, I don't know. Uh, I did. I watched some of the Yankees and the nationals. It seems to me if I want to get into this before I get into this, I think our world series is going to be the Los Angeles Dodgers versus the New York Yankees. And I think it is probably going to be the Yankees over the Dodgers because that's just what happens. And I think, you know, in a shortened season during a pandemic with all of this going on, it would make sense that the the team with the most money would win. I mean, that just feels like if I was writing the season, that's who I would pick to win. Um, so let's get into that. Let's get into the power rankings and the source for this is ESPN. And as the 2020 season kicks off and starts, who knows if it will continue, uh, ESPN released their opening day power rankings. Here are their top 10 teams with a big question for each team, given the shortened schedule. Number one, the LA Dodgers. The big 60-game question, will the back of the bullpen come together before the playoffs? The Dodgers should cruise to the NL West title as much as you can in 60 games anyway. I feel like they go 30 and 20. That's only 50 games. I feel like they go 40 and 20. Anyway, 
Uh, but Dave Roberts would love to know how his eighth and ninth innings shape up before October. Kenley Jansen has allowed 22 home runs the past two seasons. He also tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, and newcomer Blake Trennan was dominant with the A's in 2018 with a .78 ERA, but shaky in 2019, the 4.91 ERA. My thoughts here on the Dodgers specifically, I think they benefit, I think their bullpen benefits from a universal DH. I think if Dave Roberts has to do less double double switching, which he will not need to do now, um, maybe he gives his pitchers a longer leash, you know, let's get Rich Hill back. We can't, but, uh, you know, I think you're looking at maybe starting pitchers becoming more efficient and making it into the seventh, eighth inning, as opposed to pulling in the fifth and sixth. Now I know those were typically the ways he was approaching, uh, postseason games, but I wouldn't be surprised if he continued that in a regular season. That's only 60 games. Number two is the New York Yankees and their big 60-game question. Will Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton stay healthy? Imagine this lineup if those two are out there every day. After all, the Yankees still led the league in runs last year, even though Judge missed 60 games and Stanton played just 18. They got surprising production last year from guys such as Mike Talkman and Gio Urshela, former Cleveland player, but the Yankees would prefer those guys to be secondary players, not the meat of the the lineup. I mean, I think Aaron Boone does what he does best, which is play what what works. I think you rest Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton as much as you possibly can because they're basically Fabergé eggs. So I don't think you play those guys every day. You just don't, especially road games. Just just put them bench them, bench them in a sixty game season. Let you know. I I don't know. Put a, let them hit twice or something. Pinch hit them late in the game have them be the universal DH, you know, like I I just have them trade off or something. These guys are constantly injured. Um, and they have like maybe potentially the most depth with the exception of maybe the Dodgers. So I don't know why you would, especially in a season like this, when people are going to, no matter what happens, it's going to be written off and also celebrated. So you really have no, Um, there's kind of nothing you can do do wrong as a manager in this season, um, except lose. So number three, the Tampa Bay Rays who participated in the memification of Brianna Taylor just yesterday. Um, their big 60 game question with, will Charlie Morton, Tyler Glasnow and Blake Snell be the best starting trio in the majors? Uh, I think that might go to Cleveland, giving them a good run for their money with, the starting trio Snell won the Cy Young award in 2018. Morton was third in the voting last year and Glasnow was absolutely dominant in his 12 starts last year until he had a 1.78 ERA until he ran into suddenly tipping his pitch pitches in the postseason against the Astros, which was so weird. Uh, throw in underrated Ryan Yarborough and Yanni Chirinos and a deep bullpen. And many think the Rays have the best pitching staff in the majors. I mean, I think they show up to the Yankees. I don't know what this postseason is going to look like in terms of the format. Um, but I think the Rays are definitely going to go further, even further than they did last year. Now, Number four, Houston Astros. Big 60-game question. You don't replace Garrett Cole, but do the Astros have to? Zach Greinke is here for a full season. Lance McCullers Jr. is back 
Lance McCullers Jr. is back from Tommy John surgery. Jose Urquidy looked impressive as a rookie, hard-throwing. Josh James could also start, and prospect Forrest Whitley hopes to bounce back. In other words, with Justin Verlander as the number one, this could still be a top rotation. Uh, I think so. However, you know, nobody is benefiting more than from the pandemic baseball than the Houston Astros with the lack of fans in the audience. Um, They are... they are, they better be grateful. That's <laughs> all I've got to say. They better be grateful that this is how they get to play baseball. Uh, they better be grateful. And I hope Carlos Correa can like keep his mouth shut about it a little bit. He probably won't, but um, going to see a lot of plunking and however you feel about that, it's what's going to happen. Um, and I'm curious to see how the Astros float through this season. I'm curious to see what they end up doing. And I'm curious to see, what their strikeout rate is this year. If it goes back to a more 2016 like um, number Minnesota twins come in at five and their big 60 game question is, is the rotation good enough to win a championship? The powerful lineup might be even better with Donaldson and a full season from Luis Arez three, three, four batting average as a rookie but the offense needs help from a rotation that was on fumes by the playoffs. Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi return with newcomers, Homer Bailey, Kenta Maeda and Rich Hill providing veteran depth. I mean, it could, it could be, it could be great. It could be the right mix. I think Rich Hill is somebody who brings, um, a positive mental and spiritual perspective to the game who is, uh, you know, a, a pitching coach as a pitcher. I think he is a great dude to have in your clubhouse uh, in terms of baseball and what you can do with it and how you can throw it. Um, and so I'm curious to see what the Twins do. I mean, they've definitely got, like, an axe to grind. That was an embarrassing way to exit the playoffs last season, and I like them. I say that with no, with, with nothing but love in my heart. Um, did not want to see them go out that way, especially to a team like the Yankees. You just really don't want to see anybody get beaten up like that, especially by a team like the Yankees. Sorry to my Yankees fans out there. You are a Yankees fan. You're used to it. Uh, number six, Atlanta. Their big 60-game question, can they replace Josh Donaldson's production? Atlanta has to replace Donaldson, who had a 379 OBP with 37 home runs, and Nick Markakis, who is one of the few men, uh, along with Buster Posey, uh, Ian Desmond, and David Price, who come to mind, uh, who are sitting out this season for concerns, for reasons, Ian Desmond for racial justice, more so than COVID, but also COVID. David Price for COVID and Nick Marcakis for COVID, uh, who had a 356 on base percentage. Two of the keys in the lineup that ranked third in the NL in runs. Marcel Azuna has been much more than a league average hitter the past two seasons, and Johan Camargo and or Austin Riley will have to step up at third. Austin Riley and Johan Camargo both have a lot of possibility, but you've got to get them into a groove. Um, but you, you also have, uh, Acuna and Ozzy Albies and Charlie Culbertson is really coming into his own in Atlanta and, uh, enjoying watching him play the game. And I mean, you've still got Freddie Freeman who also recovering from COVID. So we're unsure if that dude was like, I didn't know if I was going to make it like, it's a pretty intense disease. 
Um, seven, the Oakland A's. They're a big 60-game question. Do they have the rotation to overtake the Astros? The A's won 97 games last year, but will get an injection of promising young arms with rookies A.J. Pook and Jesus Lazardo, plus a healthy Sean Manea, who made just five starts last year. Manaya, sorry, excuse me. Throw in Frankie Montas, who had a great season, um, but he had a PED suspension last year, and that's four potential top-of-the-rotation talents. Plus, you got to get over that mental hurdle of not being able to make it through a one-game playoff. I will say that this 16-team expanded postseason would probably benefit the Oakland A's the most. So that's a po- that's a positive for them. Uh, number eight. World Series champion Washington Nationals. And their big 60-game question, will the bullpen be any better? Yes, losing Anthony Rendon is a major setback, and I have to say, just strange to not see him uh, on the hot corner yesterday playing baseball for the Washington Nationals. Just absolutely strange. But the Nationals somehow won 93 games and the World Series despite a bullpen that was second to last in the majors in ERA at 5.68, and last in win probability, minus 8.49 wins. They signed Will Harris and will have Daniel Hudson for the entire season. A better bullpen will help make up for the loss of Rendon. We've also, that's the thing, we also have lost Juan Soto for an undetermined amount of time. Um, And they've lost Ryan Zimmerman because he also, I believe, is sitting out the season. So that's another name to add to the list. Um, I don't see the Washington Nationals repeating the magic that they had last year. That's not a dig at the team. I I think, you know, they still have a lot of really amazing pieces. They lost and have just lost too many of the amazing pieces, I think, for it to happen again. Uh, and I think, you know, Max Scherzer had 11 Ks. He also gave up five runs. Um, so, yeah, it's just not what it was. And then... Coming in at number nine, which also Chicago Cubs not even making the top 10 for this. Yeah, this is the top 10 team. Chicago Cubs not making the top 10 for this. Curious to see what David Ross has in store for those guys. Big 60-game question for Cleveland. Will the outfield produce enough offense? Cleveland outfielders hit a slash line collectively of 253, 318, 417. Worse than every playoff team, which is why they didn't make the playoffs. In the outfield, they will mix and match again, like they love to do. With the likes of Oscar Mercado, Jordan Luplau, Delano DeShields, Jr., excuse me, Fran Mil Rias, and Domingo Santana, with Rias or Santana, the DH. You also have Jake Bowers in the mix, who did not make the roster but could come up at any time due to injury or COVID. Uh, we've also got Tyler Naquin because he was playing yesterday or he was out there yesterday. Um, so like they love to do, just keep shoving money into the outfield. Um, Cleveland has a fantastic rotation, um, and a lot of bats, but they don't, I think have the cohesion that they once had as a team. I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't really know. I've got to say it's a big it's it's got to have a big impact to be not paying Francisco Lindor. Uh especially after he's seeing what Mookie Betts is getting. 
does Francisco Lindor get Mookie Betts money? Absolutely not. But does Francisco Lindor deserve Francisco Lindor money? Absolutely. So I'm curious to see what Cleveland does. This might be their last season with uh, the I word on their chest. They're also not going to wear that uniform on opening day, which I know seems like a small thing and I'm not cheering and satisfied, but I will say the move to not wear that word on opening day when they wore that word and the chief logo through every game of the playoffs in 2016, it's, huge it's a big deal uh in terms of like the fact that they're doing it um and again not satisfying not the end of the road not good enough but i did not think they were ever going to do it so just pointing that out that it's absolutely bonkers to me that they're not going to wear that word on their chest for opening day that it's going to say cleveland which i'll say is the more important part of the name (laughs) you know like what if these teams were just what if it was just the the city you know what if it was just this that was it you know um washington football team is like way better you know what like we should have whatever anyway I i can't get into this again uh the new york mets big 60 game question did they effectively replace zach wheeler and noah Syndergaard in the rotation wheeler signed with the phillies and Syndergaard is out with Tommy John surgery. Rick Porcello and Michael Waka were signed as free agents. Those two combined for a 5 0 ERA in 2019, more than a run higher than Wheeler and Syndergaard. I mean, the Mets have the bats power with Alonzo and Rosario. Maybe I'm honestly shocked that the Mets are 10 and the Cubs are not. I, I guess I would imagine that the Cubs are number 11 or 12. Uh, which of these teams do I think is most overrated? I would say the New York Mets. Uh, <laughs> any sleepers that deserve a place in the top 10? I think maybe not in the top 10, but I'm really I'm really curious to see what the Chicago White Sox pull out of the bag and the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I, I think both of those teams are going to have a good time <laughs> with what they've got going. Uh I th- so those are my sleepers. Do they deserve a spot in the top 10? Not totally sure. Which of these teams will be most ad- advantaged by the 60-game season? I mean, I think the Yankees, probably. Given that they've ha- had so many injuries and injury-prone players, I think the Yankees benefit from a 60-game season more than anyone. I think the Houston Astros benefit from this pandemic season more than anybody. Um, and which will be most disadvantaged? Probably the Dodgers, because they just always are. I have no idea how they get in their own way, but somehow this will become a disadvantage for them. (laughs) Mark my words. My predictions for each division is, uh, East AL Yankees, Central AL White Sox, uh, West AL Angels, uh, West NL Dodgers, Central NL Hmm. Central NL. Who's even in the Central NL? You know what I mean? Um, let's go Brewers because they've got another axe to grind. East NL probably go with East NL. 
Tampa Bay Rays. And then wild cards are Cubs, Astros, um, Central, Minnesota, Oakland. That's good enough for me. I didn't write everything down. <laughs> Those are my prediction predictions. I th- I think the World Series. Uh, I think uh, it's Yankees and Dodgers. I think the Yankees win it. Um, that's not what I want. I want the Dodgers to win. Um, because I uh, if we get if if we even my actual prediction is we do not get that far. Um, because I just think the outbreak potential has already started in its opening day. So I don't want that to happen either. Um, but I just think there's going to be an outbreak and it will have to stop at some point because you won't, these guys are playing. Most people aren't wearing masks. They're still touching each other. Nobody in the app bad is really wearing a mask. Um, people are just still touching each other and, uh, they're all around each other. So it's just going to, Juan Soto has it. He probably, he was wearing a mask a lot, but I, I, who did he get it from? So, uh, tested on Tuesday results came back on Thursday morning. That's way too long. You know, tests for other players came back negative, but then I also heard that other nationals players were infected. So I, I don't, the whole thing is kind of a nightmare. Um, so we'll wrap up this episode with uh, a little talk about the anthem protests. (laughs) I should say they are protests that happen during the anthem um, because these things aren't protesting the anthem per se. They are protesting during the anthem to bring awareness to police brutality. Um, And they're using, they've been happening during the anthem because that's when people pay a lot of attention. Um, and also potentially protesting, you know, standing for the anthem because A, it's a free country and B, why would I stand for this when uh, nobody's really standing for, you know, black people being killed in the street? Um, the source for this is the New York Daily News. It was written by Bradford William Davis. I highly recommend reading this piece. There's a lot of really, really, really great quotes. I wanted to pull quote it on Twitter and found myself really just tweeting out the whole article. So uh, let's just, uh, I'm just going to uh, read from the article because that's what bench coach Brett put in here. Uh, this is from Bradford William Davis's piece. Major League Baseball, a business too busy valorizing sepia-toned history to participate in a meaningful discussion on racial injustice is undergoing the delicate task of engaging an audience and workforce jolted by the police ki- murder but killing of George Floyd. A wide and multiracial cross-section of league personnel and supporters are finally entertaining the possibility that all these viral videos and hashtags weren't isolated flare-ups, but depict the ever-present danger for huge swaths of the country. Reminding people that Jackie Robinson used to work here is suddenly insufficient. That might be my favorite quote of the whole thing. Anti-racism must somehow become part of the brand without dismantling the business. With that in mind, players and coaches across baseball, white and black, are kneeling on the third rail just as it began losing its charge. Since Monday night, 
Colin Kaepernick's famous national anthem, Kneel, has been modeled across baselines in San Francisco, Cincinnati, and Anaheim. Aaron Judge says the Yankees are discussing a demonstration when they play the Nationals on opening day Thursday night in Washington, D.C. But whether the act of kneeling or the institutional public support stands as more than a gesture depends on defining its end goal. I have to say, to just in- inject my own thinking here and feeling, is that, and this has been happening in, I don't know, Formula One racing and soccer, um, you know, it was rare in 2016 to see other professional athletes kneeling during the anthem in support of Colin Kaepernick, in, in support of what he was doing, in solidarity of what he was doing. Um one person comes to mind. There are others, but this is the one that's coming to mind. The first additional athlete aside from Colin Kaepernick to do this was Megan Rapinoe. Um, she knelt in solidarity with him. And again, this sort of wraps back to the beginning, which is women's sports quote, don't really count. Um, and I think there has been so much, uh, you know, debate around what that those protests meant, whether they should be happening, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. So, so much of this. And now, suddenly, you know, in this pandemic, in this moment where there is no looking away, somehow people and these and players were able to look away from Tamir Rice, were able to look away from Sandra Blant, were able to look away from uh, 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 countless other people, Ahmad Arbery, um, in, in too many people. And that is, you know, the problem. Uh, and suddenly Michael Brown, um, Trayvon Martin, able to look away, able to convince themselves Again, like like he says, an isolated flare-up. Well, there must be something behind it, or not my place, or not part of baseball, or not whatever. And suddenly the cohesion around the murder of George Floyd, which is a powerful one, a spiritual uplifting I w- or, or uprising, I would say, uh, in the combination of the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, and uh, many other people, Tony McDade, even people who they are, they're not even aware of, but so many within this time frame. I don't also understand how then if, because what I noticed in the sort of branding of Black Lives Matter, which is a movement, it's not just a hashtag, it's actual people. It was started by human beings. Um go to blacklivesmatter.org.com, read read what they have to say, follow the people on Twitter, follow the people, Dr. Melina Abdullah on, on Twitter, go follow Patrice McCullers on Instagram. Uh, it was started by human beings. Um, that somehow all of this was only about the murder of George Floyd. It was condensed into one murder, um, and then that m- murder it, itself was carried out by kneeling on someone. And now all these people are kneeling. Um, and I just, something about it doesn't jive. And look, it's also, 
not my place to tell people what to do all the time. You know, it just isn't. And also I am a white person. I don't get to tell everybody what to do. I don't get to tell everybody, especially, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's touchy. However, I get to have, I, I, I get to know what feels right for me and I get to do what feels right for me. I will say it's incredibly, um, different for them to be doing these protests in a stadium with no fans. I would like to believe that yesterday when these teams knelt either, you know, before the anthem, when it was not playing in a moment of silence and then standing up for the anthem um, to sort of play both sides or kneeling during the anthem, I would like to believe that the whole stadium would be, would be in support of the same thing. But I've been to baseball games. I go to them regularly. That's probably not what would be happening. So it is a sort of antiseptic version of a difficult thing. Um, and again, maybe that's good. Maybe that's a positive. You know, maybe that's good that they get to do this when they're not being criticized by, you know, cans getting thrown at their heads or racial epithets or whatever. I don't know. But maybe those things also need to happen. I don't know. Um, I one time went to a, a Dodger game um, in 2016, that season, or 2017. Uh, went to the game. I was, like, getting to my seat. So I was in the sort of, it's not a hallway, but the walkway to my seats. And the anthem started playing, and I did not feel comfortable standing for it. And I did kneel for it, but I did hide behind some trash cans because I was afraid someone might do something to me for doing that. Um, but I did do what I felt was right, you know? Um, and then when I went to other games before I would, uh, stand up, but I didn't put my hand on my, you know, it's like doing the things for personal safety again, which is a cowardly way out. So I'm just relating to what, anyway, it all just feels something about it feels icky, but it's also, this is what happens when things go mainstream. They feel icky because they're it's mainstream. Uh, so to continue, I, I mean, I was also given the, the, the information that like, if you, one of my friends who willingly goes into sort of Trump spaces, like people are very upset about it. So it, it is effective, you know, it just might not be effective the way I think it should be effective, but it's definitely effective. So to get back into the article, MLB appeared to defend the protest, but in truth disarmed it, replying to the minor revolt of fans betrayed by their favorite sport becoming too political. The league replied, supporting human rights is not political. To other frustrated fans bothered by their actions, they said the demonstration, quote, has never been about the military or the flag. The players and coaches are using their platforms to peacefully protest. Protest what exactly? Well, that's for you to decide. Like many of its pro sports contemporaries, baseball hesitates to verbalize exactly how or why George Floyd died. Can a company support black lives while opposing tangible measures that benefit black people, especially those that don't suit up for them? We're probably going to see more kneeling around the league in 2020, but many of the players on their knees need more than a gesture for themselves and their communities when they leave the field. Because if the once provocative assertion that black lives matter and the in interconnected protest against the specific violence of policing can become depoliticized, the league can launder the language of racial injustice towards any end. 
Baseball is well acquainted with shuffling positions for a moment to improve their defense before returning everyone back to normal. Our moment requires a permanent shift. Couldn't really say it any better than that. Um, I have noticed many baseball players, many, many things coming out of baseball is this is not political. Um, I don't actually know what anybody means by that. <laughs> you know, we spent many years, uh, decades, centuries fighting for the personal to be considered political because politics is power. And now we're defanging everything to try to make things, I don't know, more palatable or more digestible by saying it's not political. Um, so I don't know what that means. I think like political correctness, that phrase has perhaps gotten us here. Um, that like nothing's political. If everything's political, I, I don't, I don't really know, but like it is political. Um, because we go to war for things like this. We go to war with other countries for things like this. You know, we occupy other countries using these kinds of things as political measures. So I think it's important to remember that this is political and human rights are political because we have politicians who are not standing up for human rights. So that's a political position. Um, and we have an update from 4.40 p.m. During their opening day game, every player and coach on the field for the Yankees and Nationals took a knee while all holding a single length of black rope. After a short moment of silence... They all stood for the playing of the national anthem. I did not realize that they did that until I actually just read that right now. So I don't know who came up with the idea of using rope, um, but that holds a lot of historical significance. Um, whether that was intentional or not, I'm unsure. But again, uh, sort of getting back to Bradford William Davis's point when you don't really explain anything, it's easy for anything to be sort of implied. Um, and so I don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> I, I don't really know what any of these guys are doing. And I, I actually think that striking like what Ian Desmond is doing is probably mo the most effective protest, um, that anybody could be doing right now. And, uh, I guess I would call on, you know, I don't know who listens to the show in baseball, but I would call for, any of the players who spent the last three to four months saying that they're listening and learning to use all that listening and learning to maybe take some action that is, is tangible. That is not just kneeling and not saying a goddamn word or doing anything or holding a black rope. I don't really understand what that means because a white man kneeling and holding a black rope to me is, pretty confusing. Um, also then to just continue earlier in the day, New York Yankees coach Aaron Boone did his pre pregame press conference while wearing a black lives matter t-shirt and made the following statement. I just feel like I want to be a part of it. And we've had conversations as an organization. We've had conversations as a team. We've had smaller group conversations, conversations with one another, and we've kind of decided as a team, not that necessarily everyone will be wearing these for batting practice. I know a lot of guys are. I felt like I wanted to wear it. And tonight, we'll, as a team, have our own demonstration. I don't know what any of that means. I don't know what I just said. I have no idea what any of this means. I think I'll probably just wrap up the episode by giving a shout out to the 
uh, men's basketball, the NBA players who used their sort of post-practice moments to call for justice for Breonna Taylor, uh, to not uh, meme her, to to literally call for justice for Breonna Taylor. Um, because if you're paying attention to the protests in Portland and it's not the feds that are going in, it's actually private mercenaries now, um, or has always been. So none of these people work for the government. I mean, they're being hired out and paid by the government. Um, but this is not even feds at this point. Um, that stuff is happening in Louisville as well, because people are still standing up for black lives and standing up for justice for Breonna Taylor. Um, and she still deserves justice. And, uh, I also tweeted, retweeted the, the raise some of their statements that they made yesterday because I was shocked that they had done it. Not necessarily like, wow, this is amazing. And I just want to clear up that I wasn't saying, wow, it was amazing. I was honestly shocked and learned in that moment, like don't tweet out your shock because it doesn't make sense. And you're just as vague as this Aaron Boone statement. So, um, the, the memification of Brianna Taylor is pretty heartbreaking. And, uh, I'm sure that at some point, one of uh, I I'm sure that I reposted some things that got close or could be considered that. And for that, I am sorry. And I also see the pain that that causes, um, that, uh, it, it is incredibly sad that only, only her death has been turned into a meme. Um, and also that she has not been given any amount of justice. I guess her boyfriend being released from jail, um, is some amount of justice, However, the three men who executed her, one of them was like on vacation in the Bahamas. So it's, it, uh, it's difficult, you know, uh, none of these players said anything about her. None, none of these managers, like the names are right there. You have Google, you could figure it out. You could come together and make this not about you. <laughs> you know, I guess that's maybe the thing is like black lives matter. Like you probably don't know those women's names because they, they don't make it about them. You know, it's about a movement. And that, that is what's important is, uh, the people who have died, you know? Um, and so it's just, it's so delicate, you know, it's so delicate and so nuanced, I guess it's better than nothing. Um, but you know, something more than Jackie Robinson used to work here is going to have to be done. It's just not enough. Suddenly insufficient, to quote Bradford William Davis. Uh, and with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Probably not going to be playing fantasy this year because I just don't have it in me. And um, none of the people that I know are really... Um, nobody has... <laughs> I'm just not doing it. So good luck, everybody. Um, yeah, check out the shirts at the store, uh, T Public. There's new shirts up there. Also keep an eye out, going to be launching a tie-dye website soon. If you like this podcast, let some other folks know. Spread the word, rate, review, subscribe, keep listening, wear a mask, stay away from people you don't know, <laughs> and stay away from people you do know. Wash your hands, keep that mask on, stay home if you can, and as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever. Dog. 
This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.